from uh, about 15 years on up, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll. Here, we talk about serial killers as well as delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. I come at this from a psychological perspective, so we look at past family members, childhood experiences, and other things that could have contributed to these people evolving into who they've become. Special thanks to my patrons who voted for this episode. Thank you so much. You are truly appreciated. And for anyone else, please feel free to join my patrons so that you can vote on who will be covered next or get early access to the podcasts. Like, share, and subscribe. It might just help our little community grow. So today's podcast was voted for by patrons, and it is going to be on Magdalena Solis, the High Priestess of Blood. There wasn't a lot of information about her, so this one will be more of a storytelling. So just sit back, relax, and here we go. So Magdalena was thought to have been born in 1947 in Tamaulipas, Mexico, which is an area just south of the southeastern border of Texas against the Gulf of Mexico. I could not find any real information about her parents or her early life, but the consensus is that she was born into a poor and struggling family, and we know she had at least one older brother named Elazar. It is also believed that her childhood and family were dysfunctional because her brother was out running the streets and became a pimp in his early teens. Somehow, whether she did it willingly or not, she was prostituting herself at the tender age of 12, and her brother was her pimp. So just try to imagine under what circumstances you would have your own little sister prostitute herself for you to gain money. But this is not where this story begins. The story begins with two brothers, Santo and Cayetano Hernandez. These brothers were nothing more than two-bit criminals, committing petty theft as they traveled from village to village. When they happened upon an extremely small village at the foot of the mountain range that runs through Mexico, called Yerba Buena. When I say this village is small, I mean that it really can't even be considered a village. The population was all of about 50 people, just a handful of families that had settled there to try to develop the land for communal farming. And they were not a particularly educated group. They were, for the most part, illiterate, with no formal education, and at that time quite remote and cut off from society. 
and poverty-stricken doesn't quite cover it. Now, make no mistake, they were an incredibly hard-working group of people who were skilled at the art of agriculture, but just, well, we will say naive, easily swayed, and the brothers recognized that. Seasoned, small-time thieves, they realized an opportunity there and began to hatch a plan. So, in late 1962, the brothers entered the village, proclaiming to be prophets and high priests of the, quote, powerful and exiled Inca gods. Now, clearly, they didn't really do their homework because the Incan Empire was on the extreme western side of South America. They would have been more accurate had they used the Aztec gods, for example, which were in that area of central Mexico, but I digress. They indeed convinced the people that they represented the Inca gods and, in return for worship and tribute, the gods would bestow upon them fine treasures that were hidden in the caves of the mountains surrounding the village. Using sort of of sleight-of-hand tricks and crude alchemy to do a bit of razzle-dazzle, if you will, they convinced the villagers that they actually had supernatural powers. Needless to say, it didn't take long for the villagers to fall for it and the brothers to claim authority over them. Anyone that might question their legitimacy would be severely punished, of course. And so began the new way of life for the villagers. Now, in return for complying and therefore winning the favor of the gods, the villagers had to participate in rituals, usually involving sex with the brothers, both male and female, and many of the females were as young as 14. They didn't want to, of course, but they were terrified of upsetting the gods. What tiny bit of money the villagers earned from their farming and trading with neighboring villages was to be given to the brothers. So basically, they were forced into slave labor. The brothers were able to convince the villagers that, as long as they did exactly what they were told, they would be rewarded and be prosperous. There had been whispers of riches hidden within the caves of the mountains, and the brothers used that to keep the villagers compliant. But after a while, as these things go, the villagers began to grow suspicious and, quite frankly, tired of the Hernandez brothers as they were doing all of the work and forcing themselves to participate in sex rituals and seeing no benefit. So, the brothers had to think of something to reel the people back in because they weren't ready to give up their cushy situation. They told the villagers that they had a pilgrimage they needed to do to appease the gods and traveled a little over a hundred miles to the city of Monterey to look for someone to help them keep up their facade. And this is when they met Magdalena and her brother, the pimp, right? So they saw that she advertised her services for sex work, but also claimed to be a psychic medium, and they immediately wanted to bring Magdalena into the fold as she was a rather beautiful young lady of about 15 years old. And she wasn't hard to persuade. I mean, come on, let's see pretend to be an Incan goddess to be worshipped and her every whim taken care of? Where was that dotted line? 
She and her brother happily returned to the small village with the Hernandez brothers. But the brothers showed up just a few hours ahead without her and told the villagers that they were going to perform a complicated summoning ritual to call forth the Incan goddess. That night, they used a crude sort of smoke bomb, and from behind the smoke, out walked Magdalena. The villagers gasped at the fact that, you know, to them, she had simply just appeared out of nowhere. And it was nearly immediately that she took complete control over the sect because the people of the village were just, you know, spellbound with her. And the villagers were, in fact, enamored with her, at least at first, offering her every worldly possession they had, including peyote and cannabis, of which she consumed large amounts of. Peyote, for those that might not know, is a small, spineless cactus which contains psychoactive alkaloids, particularly mescaline. And under the influence of these psychoactive and psychedelic substances, she came to believe that she herself really was the reincarnation of an ancient Incan goddess who ruled over the sun, moon, and stars. Magdalena would continue to flaunt her supposed powers in various ways, including using the townspeople for forced sexual services and, quote, sacrificing their livestock if they didn't succumb to her demands. And it did just start out with animal sacrifice, but soon turned much, much darker. In fact, she started practicing a blood ritual with the unbelievers, sort of like the old Aztec gods, if you will. So if she learned that anyone doubted her in any way, she would force the believers in her new cult to beat the doubters and then set them on fire. And as the victim lay dying in agony, the believers would then be told to begin the bloodletting ceremony. As the blood flowed from the victims, it would be collected into bowls and cups or chalices and given to Magdalena, who would then drink the blood after mixing it with peyote, believing it truly gave her the power to live forever. And as I was researching and I came to this part, um, it kind of reminded me of the conspiracy theories about the Illuminati and all of that with regards to adrenochrome, right? Stick with me here. As the conspiracies or the legends go, if one terrifies a human sacrifice as they are dying, their blood is super saturated with adrenaline, and that allegedly can make a person high. I haven't really done many conspiracy theory podcasts, but if you are interested, let me know. I know that can be a slippery slope. But if that is true, if that's what she was doing, then the blood mixed with peyote and cannabis would be a potent trip, to be sure. Now, under her reign, the cave rituals began to evolve into very dark and twisted actions. Villagers were given peyote, either consensually or not, during these rituals, making them highly susceptible to her commands. It's very much giving Charles Manson, am I right? Magdalena insisted that they should drink the blood as well to gain immortality. And then the ritualistic sex orgies escalated as well. 
and just like everything else, they were directed by Magdalena, who demanded the villagers engage in incest and bestiality as well, according to sources. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So, as these things go, at some point, two of the village men began questioning the ever-increasingly disturbing new religion and wanted to leave. So Magdalena labeled them as unbelievers and ordered the villagers to beat the men, then lynch them, their blood to be consumed as part of the blood ritual. So it really isn't a stretch to see that the villagers mostly stayed in line. So in early 1963, Magdalena escalated the disturbing violence by demanding the human sacrifices to have their hearts removed from their chest of the victim while they were still alive. This is what earned her the name, the High Priestess of Blood. And the villagers, drunk off of the drug-laced blood, believed her and continued to follow her. So one night, right, a 14-year-old boy, Sebastian Guerrero, was having a bit of a walkabout, you know, wandering a bit from his own village, when he stumbled upon the cave that Magdalena and her group used for their rituals. Before he saw the cave, he heard some rather kind of concerning or disturbing sounds that he knew were human but didn't immediately recognize that they were screams and moans from people performing these rituals. So as he got closer and closer to the cave, the sounds got louder and he began to feel quite frightened, as anyone would. He could see flickering lights coming from within the cave, and he approached slowly and silently. As he cautiously peered inside, his eyes came upon a scene too terrible to be believed. Peering inside the large cave, he saw most of the villagers were gathered inside. He noticed that most of them were also nude, engaging in sex. Others were passing around a ceremonial chalice, drinking the dark fluid that it contained. At the far end of the cave, sitting on an elaborate altar, the teens saw where the dark fluid was coming from. It was coming from a human being, hacked to pieces, the final drops of his blood being collected in cups. And standing above them, he saw a woman, Magdalena, holding the bleeding heart of the man who was lying on the altar, Understandably terrified, Sebastian ran nonstop for more than 15 miles to a nearby town that had the closest police station to the isolated village. There, he breathlessly tried to explain what he had seen, saying the villagers were, quote, drinking blood like vampires. The police laughed the boy off, thinking, you know, his imagination had carried away. 
but they saw rather quickly that the boy was being serious and insisting that something terrible was happening in the caves near Yerba Buena. So the next day, police inspector Luis Martinez took pity on the boy and agreed to follow him to the area to see for himself. Neither of them would be seen alive again. So a couple of days went by and there was no sign of Sebastian or Luis and their loved ones and co-workers became understandably concerned. So the local police and co-workers of Luis went to the state police for assistance. In May 1963, the state police, as well as some of the actual army, went to investigate their disappearance. Well, they soon located Magdalena, her brother, and one of the Hernandez brothers in a farmhouse, tripping balls, as they say, and high. They arrested all of them, though one of the brothers attempted to run and he was shot dead. The rest were put under arrest. As you can imagine, witnessing the massive armed forces descending upon their little village and arresting their own goddess, will the rest of the villagers hold up in the surrounding caves. The villagers and the police and army engaged in a shootout, but the few poor villagers were massively outgunned. Those who survived the shootout were taken into custody. So the officers, once things calmed down, began to search the area, and that's when they found the bodies of Sebastian and Louise on the property of the farmhouse where Magdalena and her brother had been living. Their hearts had been carved out of their bodies. A search of the nearby caves yielded the bodies of six more victims, many of whom had been dismembered. Cayetano Hernandez, the remaining brother, was also found dead, but police would later learn he had been murdered by another villager, Jesus Rubio, who had learned of the brother's scam and wanted in on it. When Hernandez refused to cut him in, well, Rubio murdered him. So the remaining villagers, Magdalena and her brother, all stood trial. Terrified of the wrath that Magdalena would bestow upon them, None of the villagers would testify against her or her brother. Therefore, it could not technically be proven that they had caused the deaths of the others that were found. The duo were only convicted of the murders of 14-year-old Sebastian and the police officer, Luis. They were sentenced to 50 years each. The remaining villagers were convicted of, quote, group or gang murder or lynching, and sentenced to 30 years each. So in total, the remains of eight people were discovered, but it is believed that they murdered as many as 16 people total, beaten, tortured, mutilated, all sacrificed in the name of a fake goddess who was just a young sex worker and who was clearly quite disturbed. So I know what you're thinking. Where is she today? That is a good question because, quite frankly, no one knows or no one's talking. If she were still alive, and it is believed that she is, she would be 76 years old or close to that. 
Being sentenced to 50 years would put her being released in 2013. As far as I could find, no one knows her fate. Did she misbehave while in prison and had extra time tacked on? Plausible. Or was she released to disappear into obscurity and live a quiet life? Maybe. Or did she find another group of people to convince she was a reincarnated goddess to perform the old ways of human sacrifice to appease her? Doubtful, but you know, we just don't know. So I know that this is a bit of a short one, but I am gearing up for October Halloween extravaganza. And when I heard about this one and she was mentioned to me or suggested to me, I thought I'd be able to find more information about her background, but I just wasn't. So in any case, I hope you enjoyed the story. It is a true story. So thank you so much for listening. If you want to contact me, uh, you can DM me on Instagram at Serial underscore Killing, or you can come join us on the Facebook fan page, Serial Killing, a podcast fan page that was created by a beloved listener. But most importantly, as I always say and always mean, thank you so much for listening, because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you continue to choose me, and I'm continually blown away. Thank you so much, guys, and have a great day. Uh, anybody who killed more than two or three people was a mass murderer. And whether it was all at one place or over an extended period of time, and then uh, in the early 80s, they came up with this differentiation called serial killing. 